Through his dissertation, A Rhapsody in Blue, International Fisheries Law Towards Unsustainable Development, he explored international law's key role in the sustainable development of worldwide fisheries. He particularly focused on its socio-economic impact on small-scale communities. He also wrote the Slow Fish Report for the 2019 Networks Gathering in Genoa, Fishing for Alternatives, the Blue Commons. The policy paper collects the position of the slow fish community for a different approach to fisheries than the mainstream blue growth, a position that tries to re-establish the image of natural resources as something that has to be shared rather than privatized, moving from the idea of ownership to a sense of belonging to nature, as socially cohesive artisanal communities teach us. So, Lapo, I leave you the word. Take us to the waterlands. Hello everyone and welcome to the Waterlands episode of this Low Food Youth Networks podcast on food chains and ecosystems. I am Lapo, member of the Slow Fish Network, and together we will go on a journey to hear the voice of the women in fisheries, know of their lives and become ambassadors of their stories. Waterlands, as an ecosystem, may at first sound like a paradox, or an element of a fantasy land, where lands are made of water and the other way around. As this frame suggests, the stories of the waterlands are characterized by clashes and struggles of communities, just like waves hitting on a rocky shore. But on a deeper level, the stories of the waterlands are also, and more importantly, stories of unity, solidarity, intersectionality and harmony, the stories of the last inhabitants of the lands and the first of the waters. We will explore these ecosystems through the eyes of the women who heard the siren call of the waterlands and made it their life. To let the voice of the marginalized communities and their lands be heard and recognized. You will hear of Donatella Marino, 
who processes anchovies in southern Italy with a traditional technique which has been preserved and rediscovered against more industrial and intrusive methods. We will understand how the life of a woman in the fishery sector is based, how it is essential. We will then travel to South Africa to learn how women in the fisheries community can get together and organize to make their voice more heard, thanks to the story of Hilda Adams. And we will finally see where we stand in the path towards the recognition of women in small-scale fisheries in Europe, interviewing Sandra Amethaga, Spanish fisherwoman from Galicia and representative of ACTEA, the European Network of Fisherwomen's Organizations. We are here to give space and listen to stories which should be widely known and to understand how far we are from achieving gender equality in this sector. Aunque vaya cerca del mar No, 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 no te vayas Aunque vaya cerca del mar Tengo miedo A lo que pueda suceder En un rincón cerca del mar Con esta flor The anchovies of Menaiham, other than being part of the Slow Food Presidium, a really close and landmark example of how the role of women in fisheries is essential in the preservation of traditional techniques, as well as sustainable fishing practices. Donatella Marino works with her husband Vittorio Rambaldo in this sector, in the port of their hometown Pisciotta, in southern Italy. Committed and passionate about this life, they owned a shop, a restaurant, and now they run a processing and sale laboratory of the Menaica anchovies. Donatella and Vittorio start all over again several times, covering multiple roles during their exciting life journey. Silento fisher, fisher people, worker and kindergarten director, shopkeepers, and then restaurateurs, and then fishermen again. So welcome, Donatella, and thank you very much for being with us to tell the story of your story and of, of your family in preserving and promoting this business. So, Donatella, can you please tell us about the Presidium of Alice di Menaica? What is its peculiarity? Il presidio delle Alici di Menaica è stato il primo in Campania, nella regione Campania. The Slow Food Presidium of the Menaica Anchovies was the first one in the Campania region in Italy. It was made to preserve a type of fishing which has been carried out since the time of the ancient Greeks. It has been abandoned in the most of the Mediterranean Sea when new fishing techniques were introduced. These new techniques were focusing on fishing a big quantity of fish with little effort, while the menaica, which is the name of this ancient Greek fishing net, is focusing on quality. So less fish with a bigger effort but with a better selection of the fish. Actually the menaica is a semi-derivant net which is placed in the sea as a barrier and the fish shoal has to go through it. So the smaller fish can pass through the net while the bigger ones get stuck. Once the fishermen withdraw the net, the anchovies stuck in it have to be removed one by one. So they carry out a sort of cleaning operation with these super fresh fish, they remove the heads and the interiors and the fish loses all its blood. 
By doing this, the fish quality is much, much higher. So, as I was saying, this technique has disappeared in almost all Mediterranean. Well, with the exception of some parts of the Cilento area in Campania and in some towns in Sicily, another Italian region. When he discovered this type of fishing, Carlin Petrini himself, the founder and president of Slow Food, insisted on starting a Slow Food Presidium in the year 2000. The Presidium aims to protect both the fishing technique and the transformation of the fish, which is the production of the anchovies under salt. So, um, how are anchovies processed in practice? And after uh, how long can they be consumed? Le alici eh, di menaica si conservano principalmente sotto sale. The menaica anchovies are mainly preserved under salt. Also, the preservation method is quite special because the salt has to be artisanal. It's neither dried nor whitened, so it's completely natural. The salt is placed in the trezzarole, which are containers made of chestnut wood with a pressing lid on top. Sometimes also other modern containers of PVC are used. So the anchovies are placed in layers together with the salt and pressed. They stay there for a minimum of three months and they can be preserved up to two years. Please Donatella, um, could you tell us your story? How did you get started in fishing? Was it for the family, for personal passion, like, or what brought you closer to this world? I started working in the process of the anchovies in 2000. Before that, I used to work as a chef in a restaurant. But my husband has always been a fisherman, as his father and his grandfather before him. So they have been passing over this fishing technique and the respect for quality, both in fishing and in the transformation process. Then since we got involved with slow food and we got some boost for the selling of the preserved anchovies, we both decided to be fully committed to this work. So I left my job at the restaurant and we opened the first laboratory to process the anchovies. In the past 20 years, we have also moved from Pisciotto to Castellabate, which is also a town with a harbour and where you can fish anchovies. Now also our children are supporting our work as a family business. And uh, Dorotella, are there other women who also fish for anchovies or is it more of a men's activity and why do you think so? Fishermen don't see women on boats as a good thing. Normally there are three, four men on each boat. And women, as far as we can remember, have always stayed at shore waiting for the fishermen to come back in the middle of the night or in the early morning. They did so so that they could immediately put the anchovies under salt. In fact, they use no ice on board because otherwise it would block the blood flow of the fish. So women were waiting for the men to do the processing of the fish. In the past, especially in the periods in which there were not many jobs available, some women went fishing. But I'm talking about many years ago and about very few women. And they were mainly helping their husbands with fishing. But today they are only men and us, the women, we work on shore in the processing. Could you please share with, with us and uh, with the listeners of this podcast a recipe with Menaika anchovies? 
una ricetta con le alici di menaica eh. One very local traditional recipe with the fresh menaica anchovies is the anchovy salad. This delicacy can only be tried by the fishermen on the boat or by few tourists that may have a tour on the boat. So the anchovies are eaten raw, just sprinkled with lemon, salt, oil, parsley and garlic. It's a quick dish, a salad of fresh fish. While with the preserved anchovies, the easiest recipe is to make toasted bread with a layer of butter or good olive oil and the anchovy on top. Otherwise you can also prepare a simple pasta with a classic aglio e olio sauce, which means garlic and oil, and you just add the anchovies on top of the dish. First you have to wash the anchovies, slice them and then you add them on top of your pasta dish. It's a very simple recipe, but definitely delicious. That was great, really. Thank you very much again for your time, Donatella. It was really, really pressure and we wish you all the best and we hope to, to be in touch again soon. Our next guest in this watery adventure is Hilda Adams, South African fisherwoman and slow fish ambassador. She is the representative of Mamre's small scale fishers, and she is also co founder, with seven women from Steinberg's Cove, of a cooperative focused on bringing indigenous West Coast fishing provision to the wider South African market. They represent a sustainable small-scale business model that could be replicated by other groups of women along the West Coast. We are so excited to have her with us for this episode, and we cannot thank her enough for her stories. So please, Hilda, can you explain the story of the collective, the context where it started, what it wanted to achieve and preserve, and also the challenges encountered so far? Good day, my name is Hilda Adams. I am a small-scale fisher woman living in the town of small town of Mamri, part of uh, the city of Cape Town in the Western Cape, and uh, we have uh, good relations with fishers in fishing communities down the west coast. One of those is Tinbuck's Cove in St. Helena Bay. Uh, where I uh, started a journey with uh, women working in a, a group and uh, our name is Veskus Manki. Now Veskus is Afrikaans for uh, West Coast in English and Manki is Afrikaans for basket in uh, English. I, I founded Veskus Manki. We are currently uh, six ladies and we started our journey during April 2017. We look at improving our economic uh, situation and uh, also looking at how we can address the challenges, uh, especially with the Department of Fisheries regarding permits. What we do 
we uh, do uh, products from the ocean. We have specific sea salt and we are looking at ways how we can have the different uh, salt mixes like uh, salt and peppercorns, etc. We also do a pickled uh, roll mop. Roll mop is a tiny fish which we uh, pickle and we sell it. So the whole purpose of uh, making these pickled products is reviving our indigenous heritage as food uh, that fishing communities have been eating for all their lives, traditional, and a lot of people, millions out there, are not aware of the distinct taste of these products and also it is very, very uh, nutritious. So we all have like uh, the salty water running through our veins. We have a passion for it and we would love to see more and more people look at uh, ways to supplement their income so to achieve e economic uh, viability through the different ways. Thank you, Ildan. That's, that's really impressive. Can you, can you tell us what role does the choice of a female collective play in this journey for recognition? We do have oh, many, many uh, transformation in, in the fishing industry that still needs to happen for the small-scale fishers in South Africa. Uh, we do have uh, women being marginalized uh, and we would want to prove our existence that we are important as uh, all as small-scale fishers as well and that we have the recognition within the industry and within the value chain as we do play very important roles within it but it is not likely recorded and we need to get the word out there that we are also important as we do uh, contribute to the value chain right from the beginning where women uh, prepare meals for their partners when they go to sea and uh, the harvesting that we do and the cleaning of the fish it is in, indeed fundamental in the context of such evident struggles like the one of the big industry sector versus the small-scale practices to keep voicing the always underlying and too easily overlooked struggles like the ones for the recognition of the women's rights in these communities as you do. So local livelihoods, traditional heritage, environmental justice, gender imbalance and more. I wonder how you manage in your average daily routine to advocate for your community, bringing together all these teams, which are definitely strictly interconnected, but also challenging as standalone fights. Uh, we, I am part of a civil society movement, the South African Small Scale Fishers Collective. I am the admin and liaison person and we engage on different platforms to see how we can negotiate for better rights and for justice for our small-scale fishers. How best can we fight for the ocean to be protected due to all the big companies invest 
investments and the minings that is uh, taking place. And these projects will kill our livelihoods, will kill the species in the oceans, and it will just make it much, much more difficult. And Ilda, what does your traditional way of fishing look like? We have been harvesting sustainably for our for, for all our lives. We've been taught that way that we should not overfish and we should only take what is necessary and the traditional knowledge the fisherwomen have. The one example is uh, if they would harvest from this area, then the next time from the other area close by, and so they rotate. And also women remember how they've been doing these things and that it is part of us and uh, we have been uh, part of the fishers, our livelihoods. Absolutely. In the end, it all comes together in the terms of social, environmental and economic justice for all. And this journey always passed through recognition, as you, as you say. This reminds me of one of your most quoted sentences, one which uh, inspires a, s- a strong sense of positivity towards what lies ahead, and, or at least it, it did for me. And it goes like this. I hope that through all these efforts, we can transform our story into a happy one. So what can the slow food community and who's listening to this podcast uh, do to help you transform your community story? What are the milestones achieved so far? If you, if you look at uh, many decades uh, of struggle and being pushed away from our resources, mm-hmm. during apartheid we were evicted from our traditional fishing grounds, our customary rights, and uh, we have had all these to deal with. Where are we? So we had to start being recognized by the Department of Fisheries within the Marine Living Resources Act. We came together and wrote a small scale fishing policy, which is yet to be implemented uh, within our country. It's only in one country that there are small scale fishing cooperatives. Within the Western Cape, it's still a struggle. So. There's been a few court cases, the one about uh, recognition, the other one about uh, customary rights, uh, which was a victory for the small-scale fishers, but uh, the outcome of the judgments are not uh, respected, so we are also struggling how can we really uh, get down to uh, having these uh, judgments uh, implemented. And we need to look at ways, really, how uh, we can have this transformation within our fishing industry, first of all, happen. So we stay positive within all of this, most of us, and we really need to look at uh, getting economic viable rights from our Department of Fisheries and also uh, having people uh, listening to our stories.
Now, fishers in all the different fishing communities know what they need, they know what they want, they have the vision, and uh, the rights really is the one that's hampering us the most. But on the other hand, if we would have had money, we uh, could have spitted our livelihoods much faster. Uh, we really would want uh, to change our, the social uh, circumstances in our communities. Uh, unemployment is huge. Uh, it's about 60%. We have the social ills in our communities and uh, drugs coming in. Poverty is very big. Sometimes when a loved one pass on, then the family do not have enough money to give the deceased a dignified burial. But then the, the community is close-knit, very close-knit. That's one big positive. And they come together and they assist the family. Thank you very much, Hilda. Your words are inspiring in really in such a gentle and at the same time compelling way. Thanks. I'd, I'd really like this podcast uh, to also be a call for everyone listening that could lend a hand to your cause, to this cause, to our cause. So I would say that pro bono lawyers, environmental scientists and environmental activists, people willing to share to help in providing for the necessary infrastructure, uh, people who can help in the social support side, And overall, whoever will share your experience and bring the focus on your community stories, well, this is the time. Get in touch with us and uh, we can help shape this community story also together. So, Hilda, it, it has been a real pleasure to have you here and uh, we really look forward to being in touch again soon. Thank you very much. A quick reminder that you can support the Sfin podcast and have access to extra material by becoming a Slow Food Youth Network patron on patreon.com slash join slash Slow Food Youth Network. We welcome Sandra Methaga, who is based in Galicia, Spain, and is part of ACTEA. ACTEA is a network of women in fisheries who work collectively for the formal recognition of women's role in the sector and to ensure access for women of fishing communities to decision-making at European and national level. So, Sandra, to begin with, could you introduce yourself and tell us something about your relationship with ACTEA? Uh, I've been in ACTEA since uh, three years ago, I think. Um, I was very interested in uh, the links between Spain and uh, EU about fisheries, women in fisheries. No, um, we began to work in that line. You know, um, I always work in the in this sector. First, I work in a, a vessel company that fish uh, tuna fishing, and now I work in. I have my own company that. Uh, buy and sell fish from uh, a small scale fisheries. And I am a political science and I have been always interested in 
topics like uh, women and about economic development. And then I joined to a Spanish association here in Galicia that is called uh, Mujeres do Mardarosa that join a lot of women from, they are barnacle catchers, seaweed collectors, um, shellfish catchers also. And we work there to try to make women visible. So I suppose they are not visible yet, are they? We are not. We have to, to work a lot. And for the fishery sector in Europe, things are already really complicated. So I guess for women, especially women in small-scale fishery, it must be really hard. Yeah, it's very complex because we have a lot of different realities, you know. In, in Spain, uh, women are more organized than in the north of, of Europe, for instance. In the north of Europe, I mean UK also. Uh, they are wives of fishermen. They help them uh, in the in the company. They make the the paperwork, but they are not officially workers, and that is a real problem. And I, I think one very important problem we have in Europe is that we haven't any real statistic about the real role of the women in fisheries. We need to quantify the the value of the women work in fisheries. This is very important. So in this regard, what is the role of ACTEA? What are you doing? Well, it's very difficult in these times, in these pandemic times, and we have online meetings. We have people from Croatia, from Cyprus, from Spain, from Portugal, from France, and we are trying to present us in the political medium in the European Union and to have voice there. But we need funds, that is very important, to have money to do things. But it's, it's an important step to, to get in touch and to, to know a, a different woman from different countries and to know what they are doing. But do you also agree on the fact that small-scale fisheries are underrepresented and women within them in particular? Yes, that is in one hand, but in the other hand, in our national level, we are not very good represents in the main uh, decisions levels. You know, we are a lot of women, but we are not in the in the in the director charts, and that is also a problem. And do you think it's more relevant to have influence on a European level, as you are doing with Actea, or on a national scale? Well, first, national level. That is the, the, the first the first level, but uh, I think we have a, a problems in common in all the in all the uh, states members, you know, and many in many countries women uh, haven't any women organizations yet. In Spain we have, but in Cyprus they haven't, or Malta they haven't, and. They need to, to get that level. I think that the, the most uh, organization is in, in Spain because in the, in the 90s, uh, local government make an effort to organize women selfish catchers and they began to contribute to social security. 90s is a couple of years ago, it's, it's quite short time. 
And that was a very important change. But it's not the same in, in, in the north of Europe, for instance. They work for family companies. I, they don't contribute to social security. And then they don't uh, are account in the statistics. As about the statistics, are there any research or report from the European Union that is mentioning this struggle? Not yet. From ACTEA, we are trying to, to improve that in that way. And we are uh, working in trying to put this in, on the table, you know, to say, well, we are more women than you say. Last year, the, the European Union has approved the European Green Deal and the Farm to Fork strategy, which are clearly going towards a more sustainable agriculture. What about the fishing sector? Is it taking into account and the role of women? Well, not yet. Not yet. I, I personally, I like very much the Farm to Fork strategy. I think it's, it's the right way to focus the, the problem. And I think that women could have a very important role in that because in the way of work of women, they take care of the natural resource. And that is very important. I think uh, women can have a very important role there, but we didn't notice yet. I think it's early. Women, women is, uh, are workers, very cheap workers. And we also take care of children, take care of all parents, do shopping, <laughs> cooking, everything, no? And not many men are interested in change things. And if we have boys in the parliament of, in, at political level, That is a, a little disaster for many of them. So, and we have to make uh, to many women change their mind also. They don't realize what is they, they work. They think it's normal to do everything. They think it's normal to, to be paid less than a man, to take care of children by their own. They think it's normal not to be the chief and that isn't. And then we need to work to show women that there is a different way to do things. And that way to do things is good both for men and women. Thank you so much, Sandra, for your really precious intervention. The overall conditions of small-scale fisheries are still grim. In such a distressful situation where ocean grabbing, denial of basic rights and the risk of destruction for entire communities and their traditional practices are a struggling reality, 
there is a category which is marginalized even more, and is that of women in the sector. They are the backbone of their small-scale fishing market, accountable for most of the fish processing and distribution. They are the bridge over troubled waters, and not just that. They are also the invisible base of their own communities, taking care in most cases of their households. But they are also strongly committed to this lifestyle, to preserving their environments and heritage, and they are often first in line in advocating for more fair living conditions for their whole communities. Their path for recognition is still long. There is much support we should and can provide, and we hope this episode managed to make their voices heard and channel their stories. Thank you so much, Lapo, for accompanying us in this watery journey. I found it super interesting and I realize it's very important to share more information regarding this topic, which is often underestimated. I remind you that this series of the podcast is organized on the occasion of Terra Madre 2020, the biggest event that the Slow Food Movement organizes every two years. This edition, due to the global pandemic, has a big digital part and you can find the whole program on terramadresalonedelgusto.com. You can find the link in the podcast description. This is Valentina Gritti and you are listening to the Slow Food Youth Network podcast. Ciao!